2: It's the second time it done. gone, oh, huh? they never
1: got on, they never got on, they never got on those, those, those boys.
2: That's, yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Yeah, you can laugh, I
1: I'm, I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You
2: don't know what you're talking about. Well, if you want know, like to. I'd stay alive. I right, nice, 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 do. I'd say it to you, guys. i not say it to, so it to you now. i down, down to and we'll see them, right. you doing down here, you showing <laughs> me, man.
1: So there I was, Ken, just minding my own business on a Sunday afternoon, trying to watch multiple sports events simultaneously, as is my wont. And then with ten minutes left in the Spurs-Southampton game, on comes a 17-year-old Irish underage international up front for Southampton and then comes within a whisker of winning the game, which is not something I expected to see. Hello and welcome to Monday's Second and Football Show. Ken, who is this kid?
3: Michael Obafemi. Um, Michael Obafemi, a player born in the 21st century. Oh, playing in the Premier League. We
1: were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. That is, that's tough, all right? not the first tough player. for all of us.
3: Do you know who the first player born in the year 2000 or later to play in the uh, Premier League was?
1: Oh, no. No? No. No oh, no. I was gonna guess Marcus Rashford, but he's like nineteen, isn't he? He's nearly he's twenty now. Actually. Yeah,
3: Mar- Marcus Rashford is a is a twentieth century boy. Yeah. Uh no, it's Angel Gomez, also of Manchester United. Oh. Uh who who became the first uh, year two thousand player, but um still not too many of them about and
1: seventeen coming on in a Premier League game. That's pretty impressive.
3: It's pretty good, alright. It doesn't happen too much these days. So uh uh Maurizio Pellegrino uh is basically saying that he's i mean I suppose the the reason that you often see seventeen year old strikers well you don't know, often but you know you do see them more uh, if they
1: play if they're playing anywhere they're often up front
3: yeah um, and the reason has to do with speed, I guess, and as Pellegrino said, I think he's a really fast player, and I think <laughs> there's just there's literally nothing that Pellegrino could have said which would have sounded more like music. To our ears, <laughs> than this, a striker.
1: We are a little shy of pace. All right, it's true. I mean, to be
3: fair, you know, we do have a, our, our paciest possibly ever player mm. is also a striker at Southampton, and we've we, we've seen that speed is a, is is a valuable thing, but it's not the only thing mm. to have in in the game. But you know, it's always better to be quick than slow. So I guess our just our, our hope is that. Michael Obafemi can resist the siren call of Nigeria. Yeah. Who did uh, you have a
1: World Cup to look forward to?
3: Yeah, he's 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 obviously um, qualified to play for Nigeria. He was born here, but grew up in England. I mean, if you, he did an interview after the game, and you know he's got he's got an English accent, um, but he has played at U level for Ireland. So, you know, if loyalty still means anything, <laughs> <laughs> if loyalty still means anything. Hopefully we're going to see him in our team, Mm. Uh, possibly sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah, now it's customary at this time every week for uh, Owen to harangue the non-World Service membership listeners in our midst. And it's true your T-Rex arms offend little McDevitt, no end. Now I feel an arm around the shoulder can be as effective as a kick up the arse. So, listen up. You probably know by now that you've missed a big couple of weeks. Our exclusive with Yelena Dokic, uh, Juliet McCour on a, uh, abuse in US gymnastics, Ken's debate with Eamon Dunphy, which made national newspaper headlines in the Irish Times last week. Disappointingly, his mid Eamon Dunphy interview impression of Eamon Dunphy didn't get reported.
3: You said doing this guy. You said doing this guy.
1: <laughs> this, uh, this week will feature a brand new Ken Early political podcast and a brand new players' chair with Richie Sadler. So, now is the time to become a World Service member. Tell them why, Eamon it's a whole new uh, way of doing journalism it's brilliant so uh, go to secondcaptains.com forward slash join and sign up today for five euro a month it takes three minutes and you're in right let's report on some sport
3: so there's no doubt what the biggest um, news of the weekend from an Irish point of view was it was this terrible injury suffered by James McCarthy uh, that made Solomon Rondon so sad in the game between West Brom and Everton. I mean, I sa- I mentioned Rondon because it seemed as though he was, he w- was almost the, his shocked reaction after accidentally kicking through the back of, um, James McCarthy's right leg, hmm. um, well, it, seemed it to it almost it, lead all the bulletins. It
1: elicited more sympathy than James McCarthy's actual injury.
3: Somebody, uh, tweeted myself and Barry Glendenning, I, I suppose, uh, some, somebody on Twitter, Turtel, I don't know, It's not, it, I don't think it's a real name, said, Puzzle this to why the focus of narrative on a potential career end of James McCarthy is how upset Rondon was. Hashtag, is it because I is Irish? Barry already responded to that saying, whose focus? I would say Rondon's perfectly natural reaction has been highlighted because football is such a toxic cesspit that any time anyone does anything even remotely nice... A big deal is made of it, but I don't think McCarthy's misfortune has been overlooked. I actually had thought the same thing, or the mm. same impression had got co- not not for the same reason. I don't think that it's an anti-Irish uh, conspiracy. No, <laughs> I like, don't think that it's an anti-Irish I conspiracy. Don't, don't. Um but it, but it did it did seem as though he was leading it. But I suppose part of that, I suppose, it's because it's one of those things. Like, what can you say about such a terrible injury? Mm. Apart from, oh God, what a horrible injury! I hope, I hope that's not the end of James McCarthy. I mean, we now have to to have got to the point where these injuries aren't even shown. Mm. Um, what they did was they, obviously, it was it was shown in in real time um, when as it happens. But then when they, when they went to do a replay, they stopped the replay at the exact moment that you can see the foot of Rondon making contact with the back of McCarthy's planted. Mm. Leg and you know the leg crumpled the same way that Seamus Coleman's did. It's a terrible injury. McCarthy will be out for I guess a year. Um, uh, a terrible setback for him. Um, but you know if if we've got to the point where these things aren't even shown, I, I'm not quite sure why. I mean, I can remember this a similar type of injury happening to Eduardo, the Arsenal player, and which was. All over the place, you know it, there, there wasn't any um, at that point it didn't seem as though uh, this sort of squeamishness about showing a gruesome image uh, was a um, was a consideration of TV yeah um, but directors
1: you're asking why it shouldn't be shown it's equally valid to ask why it should be shown I mean why like why do you think it should it's, a, be shown? it's a
3: thing in the game that happened. You know, I mean, uh, I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, it is possible that maybe it, it is, people react differently to the things things like this. I guess some people have some people are quite strongly revolted by uh, gruesome image. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people find the sight of blood to be upsetting. So it may be the case that uh, that uh, not not that blood was involved in this. I'm just using yeah. that as an example. Um, that that maybe uh, that that those considerations are. Driving the coverage, but you know, in this case, Rondon was was upset. He was he was kind of crying and so on. And I suppose if you're not going to mention the unmentionable, then Rondon is what ends up getting focused yeah,
1: on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing you can talk about.
3: Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was a bad bad day for Everton, really, all round. Uh, I mean, they get they drew the match. Um, Alda said some interesting things afterwards about how they're. I guess Everton's two main summer signings, Wayne Rooney and Gilfie Sigurdsson, are incompatible players.
1: <laughs> well, the point has had, that point has been raised before, not necessarily by anyone managing Everton, mm. but the thought did cross a lot of people's minds when they signed both of them uh, over the course of the summer.
3: I mean, as I says, you know, last week I said we haven't got a lot of legs in the team, we need to be quicker. We've increased that with Theo. Obviously, Walcott has signed for uh, Everton. Um. Yeah, and Yannick bolassi when he gets back to full fitness. But in midfield, you have to be able to cover the ground. I think Rooney and Guilfi playing together are very shrewd, very clever and talented. But in terms of covering the ground, it's not their strength. <laughs> I think Gilfie's been trudging away outside on the left side, so play a position he wants to play and see what he can do. Um,
1: trudging is a, is a... That's an interesting word he chose there.
3: Well, he has, and Sigurdsson is, is not... A trudger? Well, he's a, he is a bit of a trudger. He's a trudger.
1: Well, he, he, I suppose he trudges. I mean, yeah, but I mean, they didn't sign him to trudge up and down the left wing.
3: No, I'm I'm sure he didn't think that that was what he was going to be doing either. But look, this is how it's worked out. So it looks as though at least Allardyce has, is grasping the nettle here. You know, I think they were kind of in, the, in a bit of denial and everything that maybe this can work. You know, th- these guys are definitely two of our best footballers. Mm. Surely they should work put together, but in reality it hasn't really worked so it looks as though Allardyce is uh, is not going to uh, is not going to be persevering with that
1: hmm. i mean well maybe it's one of those situations where he'll just ask Wayne Rooney like he was when he was England manager listen who am i to talk to Wayne Rooney about <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? things have <laughs> the, changed the, the, the only post match interview that uh, Sam Allardyce ended up doing as England manager was like Wayne Rooney i'm not going to tell Wayne Rooney anything he
3: can play where he where he wants um well, if he's on the field, maybe that's the case still at Everton. But oftentimes he's going to be in the bench. It looks like. So, um, what else is going on? So, Marco Silva, Marco Silva has. Um,
1: this is one of the most precipitous uh, falls from grace that I've ever uh, seen in Premier League football.
3: It's really, it's it's not looking too good now. I mean, this is this is so it's, so. It's barely a year since Marco Silva actually uh, joined the Premier oh. League, joined Holland <laughs> on fifth of January twenty seventeen. Twenty-two matches at all, and now only twenty-six matches at Watford Watford before Watford get rid of him and blame Everton. And I honestly can't remember this um being given as a reason for sacking a manager before that he, you know, this this other team uh has has turned his head and he's and he can't manage anymore. It's been a difficult decision, would not take him lightly. The club is convinced the appointment of Silva was the right one. So am I, by the way, because Watford in the first part of the season looks really good Mm. Um, and had it not been for the unwarranted approach by a Premier League rival for his services we would have continued to prosper under his leadership the catalyst for this decision is that unwarranted approach something which the board believes has seen a significant deterioration in both focus and results to the point where the long-term future of Watford has been jeopardized for the security and success of the football club the board believes it has to make a change so Javi Garcia is the new Watford manager on a one and a half year um, contract most recently manager of Ruben Kazan, um, but yeah, I mean, it just—I'd uh, uh, love to know what, <laughs> I'd love to know how this, how this happened. I mean, Watford have this uh, system whereby mm. they just get rid of the manager anyway. So if you if you've kind of made that explicitly your system, we're going to have a kind of a you know a new coach almost every season. Yeah. Which is pretty much what they've had over the last the last few years, um, that that every appointment is going to be short term. If you have that attitude, then how can you demand loyalty from the manager <laughs> yeah. at the same time? Now, even though okay, the, you know uh, Silva had had only managed um, Watford for like <laughs> ten matches, something ridiculous, mm. um, a quarter of the way into the season when Everton came to try to hire him. But at Everton, not only is he getting the chance to manage a bigger club. I mean, Everton are, the, I think, the fourth most successful club in English football history. Mm. Um, you know, with uh, with a kind of expansionary plan, which they have at the moment under a, a new owner. Uh, and although Allardyce is only on a short-term contract, he is 22 years older than Silva. Mm. So I would have imagined Silva would have been a longer term, or at least a three-year appointment. How can you really, if you're Watford... And, and everybody knows that you change, including the guy who's who's currently asking to leave the job. Everyone knows that you are going to change sooner rather than later. How can you sit there and go, "No, you've got to be loyal to us"? It, it makes it difficult. I think I can understand Marco Silva's frustration in that. You know, um, it's why are you forcing me to stay here? We both know that you're. you're you know, we, we you might want to get rid of me in the summer, yeah. And if not, then definitely by the next summer. Whereas this is a serious opportunity. This well, is a this is a big opportunity and, yeah. and it's one that I want to take.
1: Yeah, probably two things. One of two things happened here, though. What they're saying is actually true. What what the Watford uh, board are saying is true, and Marco Silva couldn't do his job anymore after uh, they had decided he couldn't leave for Everton. Or they're lying and saying that Marco Silva is that unprofessional that he couldn't do it. Either way, it's. It's pretty ridiculous. Hmm. You know, I mean it's, it's 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 the statement is outrageous.
3: Well, outrageous.
1: Yeah, well e- like either way it's outrageous. Hmm. You know, they're either saying that he, that they're using the Everton uh, approach as a as a reason to sack a guy who had like one win in 11 games or whatever. Hmm. Um which is, you know, like that's an unbelievable stain on a person's professionalism to so that you couldn't do your job anymore after after you know, after a club came calling for you.
3: Well, it is it is a bit unusual. I mean, I suppose it's the kind of thing that happens to players a lot, or, or is is frequently said uh, by clubs of players, especially players that they have decided they want to sell, mm. and they're trying to make the fans feel a bit better about it.
1: But I think people understand that if you're trying to, you know, you get money back in in that in that case, you know that like the player goes. And then it's a PR. Oh, they would—they
3: would have got an absolute fortune for Marco Silva as well. Yeah, for if, from not, Everton, but not now.
1: You know what? No. The, you know what I mean? Like it's not like you don't go around firing players.
3: No, no. In fact, it's going to co- It's costing them money. Um, you would imagine to to get rid of Silva, but yeah, it's it is it is. I mean, I, I did I did feel that 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 Silva was was gra- was being a bit too grabby. Mm. At that point, it was a bit ridiculous. You've only been here for, you know, a couple of months and you already want to leave. This is kind of stupid. Mm. I can still understand why he wanted to do it, but, yeah, I mean, a lot, maybe... You know, maybe he I, did I, throw I th- the think, toys
1: out of the pram to, yeah. like, an extraordinary degree, which, as you say, I mean, I think it's fair enough for him to ask to leave or to, you know, say, right, okay, this is a job that I'm pretty interested in in doing. Mm. But at the same time, I don't think there's. that's the reason for him to just give up on Watford. Mm. You know, the, as you say, it's like 10 games, 9 games, 10 games. I mean... Yeah.
3: Well, we'll see if his career in English football has the same kind of bounce-back ability as Allardyce, who obviously was in the job for an even shorter amount of time with England before the decision was made, not by Allardyce, that that was going to come to an end. Um, but, yeah, that's... Um, that's yeah. I mean, it does. I suppose give you another member of that rotating cast of managers, uh, English football managers, who uh, keep coming back in. We've mm. which we've spoken about. I mean, currently circling in in orbit and available for work are Mark Hughes and Marco Silva. Uh, if anybody uh, still believes that Marco Silva can do a job at this level. Um, so what else is happening? Uh, Manchester City won and Guardiola talking about how we don't look back. We're not looking at the teams behind us. We're looking at the teams. We're looking at what we can do. We need to win 10 matches and then mathematically we're the champions and nobody can do anything. This is what we're focused on. Um, a lot of the uh, kind of... Uh,
1: Does rather burst the bubble of people trying to invent a uh, title race when you put it like that? <laughs> well,
3: I mean, well, Gu- well, Guardiola 20- was, was, was hyping it up. And Guardiola was like, oh, I, I read that Newcastle... He wasn't watching. He wasn't... Can you believe Guardiola wasn't watching in 1996? I read Newcastle dropped to 12-point advantage years ago and United won the league. Um, it's it's one of the most memorable seasons. Everyone who is alive, <laughs> everyone who was watching will remember that season always. Well, in
1: this part of the world, can you know?
3: Yeah, Guardiola wasn't watching. Two years ago... I'm not that surprised or, by that. Two months ago... Mm, yeah, I suppose. I mean, I, but if they weren't... How, do, how did Xavi know that Matthew de was so good if nobody was paying attention? Maybe... Xavi was paying more attention than, than Guardiola. Two months ago, I listen. I hear that the Premier League is done. I imagine if we drop points in our nine or ten points in front of the United, people started questioning us. So it was important to see our personality. So um, this was this was a match, the return match against Newcastle. Um, and Benitez had been criticised heavily for the the ultra defensive, ultra conservative approach, which was just blatantly trying to get a draw. And the same thing happened. Um, this time with a worse result. Benitez is kind of trying to defend himself. He says, um, who has the record for scoring the most goals in the Champions League? Me! With Liverpool and Real Madrid, which was uh, Liverpool beat um Positas 8-0 and Real Madrid beat Malmo 8-0, uh, both under the management of Benitez. Basically, when, uh, when we can attack, we attack. Um, but it's not the Premier League of two years ago, it's the Premier League now. The teams at the top are spending more money. They have the best players. Um, you know, you can see against these teams, even if you play a good game, you can concede four goals and lose. You have to find the right balance and not be embarrassed. So, again, it's, it's you know... Um, I mean, City have had much closer games than they did against Newcastle this season. Not necessarily against much bigger clubs, although it does suit Benitez at this point to, to point to the the um, financial... Disparity. Newcastle are not a team that spends money anymore, not since Mike Ashley has... Taken over now, the question of how much longer Mike Ashley is going to continue at Newcastle is has been
1: another little while yet, by the looks of things.
3: Well, you know there was there was a big interview in the uh, Times with uh, George Culkin uh, with uh, uh, Amanda Stavely, who is leading this takeover bid, um, which has been sort of uh, being discussed at Newcastle for the last few months. Did a big interview with George Culkin, who obviously covers football in the northeast for the Times and. Uh it's it's a it's a big a uh, proper sort of set piece exclusive interview where she has him over to her house and and uh he gets to look around. She's in the midst of eight deals. A casino in Japan, some real estate in New York. People buzz around her. Uh she flits between meetings, fielding calls. So, you know, serious business going on. Um Uh, You know, the downstairs sitting room, a widescreen television, a coffee table crammed with family photographs, a picture of her standing alongside Sir Alex Ferguson and Sir Bobby Charlton. Sacrilege for a childhood Liverpool supporter. Except that PCP Capital Partners, her company, backs the Manchester United Foundation. So, uh, obviously obviously she loves the game. Now, the purpose of this interview is to um, respond to... Uh, claims which were reported on Sky Sports News and the way that George Culkin puts this, uh, as subtle as a sale at Sports Direct. (laughs) 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 Which is a good way of indicating where he believes the information (laughs) has come from. An anonymous source briefed Sky Sports News that her attempts to buy Newcastle United had, quote, proved to be exhausting, frustrating, and a complete waste of time. So... Uh, so she, she says that this is insulting and, how, you know, this is ridiculous and we're serious people and the, the idea that this is a waste of time is nonsense. But, you know, I kind of started, as I, as I read more uh, of this stuff, this Amanda Stable interview, started to kind of feel a little bit sympathetic towards Mike Ashley. Go on. Well, in the sense that Mike Ashley is, has obviously been a terrible owner for Newcastle. But at the same time, he owns the club. And it's his right to sell it at whatever price he thinks, well, at what he thinks is, is the mm. right price, you know. If unless we're, I mean, let's let's have a discussion about about private property, you know, whether it's moral for one person to own this much, you know, this much of a city's identity as mm. Mike Ashley does, or, or you know, whether Amanda Savley really should be, you know, uh, she she claims to have something like thirty billion under management, you know, maybe that's wrong. Maybe we should, maybe we should get sit them both down. Take it, take their property and divide it among among the people. Mm. If we want to have that conversation, fine. <laughs> but as long as we're as, as long as we're kind of accepting that, like, uh, you know, property rights are a thing. Mm. Ashley's the owner, and the only way you get it is if you pay him a price that he wants. And it doesn't matter that he's a bad owner or anything. That's this situation is is the way yeah. it is. He, she can't just rumble him into like selling the club at a knockdown price by sort of sh- public shaming. You yeah, know, yeah, I think yeah. Ashley's immune to that anyway. Uh, but as Calkin um, details, the first her first bid was three hundred million pounds, two hundred million up front, the rest payable in two chunks. The second, this is going back to November, was for three hundred and fifty million, payable in installments. There would be one hundred and fifty million on completion, followed by fifty million every year after that, with the final tranche dependent on achievements such as reaching the Champions League, which is a, you know. <laughs> far away yeah, we'll, prospects uh, for you. I mean you can we'll, knock that fifty million off for a start, right? Yeah. So that's that's really three hundred million. And you know, we're not sure what the other what the other conditions were. For both were penalty clauses in the event of demotion, again a live prospect I would I would have thought. Or Newcastle being stung by HMRC's tax investigation into the club. Again, one of those things, I don't know enough about it to say what the probability is, but Mike Ashley knows more than me, and for some reason, he's these throwing conditions it in are there, putting then, him off. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was a third offer on November 17th. Dear Mike, it began, this one, $250 million would be paid in full, no caveats, no conditions, no clauses. But the problem is, Mike Ashley's valuation is $350 million, so it's $100 million less. You know what I mean? It's not really... I don't see why Mike Ashley should sell a Premier League club for this amount of money for yeah. 250 million pounds. It looks like a very good deal for Stabley, but not such a good deal for Mike Ashley, from 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 my point of view. If I'm if I'm talking if if I'm commenting on this as a disinterested observer of a transaction between two fabulously rich people, uh, one of whom wants something that the other one has got, it strikes me as though if Mike Ashley was to agree to this, he'd be a, you know we'd all be having a bit of a giggle. At Mike Ashley, not for the first time, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah. So again, why? uh, But but, yeah, well, Stavely, and and the the thing, the thing which made this kind of the two hundred fifty million that she she's up two hundred fifty million bang, there you go, and you know wired wired over to you, um, doesn't go near the three hundred fifty million valuation, except. That Savoli committed to investing another 200 million, at least 100 million on new players across the first two transfer windows. And the same again on improving a tired training ground and ineffective academy. And I'm like, oh, if I'm Mike Ashley, I'm like, oh, right. This is a bit like you're offering to buy my house that I have on the market Mm. for, you know, 100 million less. Say so, okay. so say so I want to sell the house for three hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah. You're offering two hundred fifty thousand. Yeah. But you're also saying that you're going to spend two hundred thousand on doing up the house one, once I'm out there. Yeah. And I'm like,
1: oh, that, that, well, that's great, but it doesn't really have. a... <laughs> uh, <it doesn't laughs> why? Really... why should, all that tells me is that
3: you've got another two hundred million that you could easily give me. Yeah. So so let's talk about my asking price, or you know, let's not. Yeah. If you don't want to buy, if you don't want to buy it. Yeah. Um. But so so that, that is aimed not at Ashley, but at the, the fans. Yeah. It's aimed at the people of Newcastle. All this money, all this investment is waiting to be unlocked if only miserly Mike yeah. can be persuaded to sell the club for less than he thinks it's worth. Um, Stanley says, the passion of the fans is vitally important when you're looking at a club because you know that you're a custodian. I'm also a passionate believer in investment in the Northeast because I know it's tough. A lot of great things are happening in the city. We've got friends like the Rubens who've invested there. It's a really special place with its own identity. It's absolutely unique. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it seems to me as though Amanda Savile and her and her partners and backers just are not going to be able to buy Newcastle unless they pay closer <laughs> to Mike Ashley's asking price. I hate having to defend Mike Ashley. Yeah. But come on.
1: Yeah. No. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the exhausting. What was it? A waste of time? I mean, mm. I don't know if it's a waste of time necessarily. I mean, she knows he's desperate to sell. She throws in a couple of offers, which might be insulting. But, I mean, no one else is looking to buy it off you. So, I mean, I don't think there's a whole lot of point in going to the press well, anonymously, is, whoever did that.
3: Well, this is the thing. That it was also put out that another bidder had had emerged who was willing to pay $350 but. As yet, <laughs> <laughs> you know we're still waiting. He
1: folds off the yeah, that, yeah. that second guy. So contact him or her. So
3: Stavely sort of saying, look, you know, okay, fine, if you sell for three and fifty million, great. If not, you can come back and talk to us about it. So it's yeah, it's one of these sort of businessy, businessy standoffs. Both both parties probably set to make a huge amount of money. Nobody else will be making money. Newcastle in the meantime in limbo. Uh, so there you go. Anything else? Um, Chelsea have been. Linked with some strange moves recently. First of all, this Andy Carroll link, which isn't going to happen because Andy Carroll is injured. Just the fact that they were injured in Andy Carroll was so surprising. It's like has Andy Carroll not been proven to be not good enough to play for a Champions League team like Chelsea?
1: For better or worse, Ken. Unfortunately, the when this was mentioned, the first thing that popped into my head was that gif of a horse trying to kick a giant inflatable a, a ball. ball. Yeah, I mean which it's circulated around the time that Andy Carroll was uh playing for Liverpool. It was unfortunate, it was uh, ill advised, it was unfair, but that is what came into my head. These,
3: these are the things that stick in people's minds. Um but you know it just shows it shows the sort of importance that um that Antonio Conte places on um on having a centre forward. Uh, he is not like some other managers these days. I mean we've mentioned it before but that uh uh the interview that Morada did in El Pais uh, uh, when he went back to play for Spain in September was sort of interesting, uh, just in terms of how, in a sense, how how basic his instructions are um, from Antonio Conte, who he, who he describes in this interview as, you know, a tactics nut, like a real... He loves tactics. Um, but um, talking about being the point of reference for a team, in Chelsea... Uh, it's impressive how the work of the striker, the centre forward, is valued. It's systematic. Without looking, the team plays for you. When the ball reaches the fullback, the fullback looks for the first nine. The, the, the fullback looks for the centre forward, and the centre forward must always be ahead of the first central defender on the side of the ball to play and go. So, um, it's it's all about be, beating the centre forward to a ball from the side and knocking it back to somebody who can then star start play from a more advanced position. It is sort of, you know, it's not like um, the kind of stuff that, that Man City are doing. It's more old-fashioned, but Conte believes that this is how you do it. I mean, Conte has has his his record stance comparison with Guardiola in the time they've been in England. They've achieved similar... Well, Guardiola hasn't won the league yet. Mm. Um, they've, they've, they've won similar numbers of points um, playing quite different sort of football. So the idea that Carl could come in, Ed and Dzeko um, is is now being linked with Chelsea. Um, Thirty one. I mean, it's again not a signing for the long term. Although the the whole idea of long term signing seems to have gone out the window a little bit here, with Manchester United paying you know their biggest their biggest contract in history to a twenty nine year old player. Mm. It's as though they're sort of accepting, okay, we are actually a club in which all the players are finished players, you know, not developing not developing players, not ones to the future. Yeah, but people who Which are
1: were basically the rules that well Moyes in particular, maybe even the end of Ferguson, but Moyes in particular, were, but he was asked to operate solely under that kind of.
3: But Ferguson always used to, Ferguson always had a couple of players like that in in the team. I mean, at, at any point, almost you look back at his time at Manchester United, there was always one or two sort of coming players. Mm. You know, um, he thought that that was really important. I mean, he he talks about it in one of the. One of his many books, um, in terms of uh, the the group psychology, um, that that you need to have young kind of hopefuls in the team, in order to, because not only are, are you not only does it make sense in the sort of in the football sense, okay, you, you've got you've got a guy who can develop into a really brilliant player, uh, and that obviously then has has a positive impact on your on your business dealings you know you, you're getting players for nothing and mm. there's they're really valuable um but also in terms of their effect on the older players that when uh more experienced older players are in the team with younger players who they actually have to help it brings it it, it allows them to mature as well they kind of become the grown-ups in the team the 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 more experienced players and they can kind of find Within themselves, sort of, a, kind of a authority which they didn't previously know they had, and which is why he thought it was so vital always to include a couple of young players. But I do wonder if we're getting to a point where those types of considerations are just being forgotten about, um, as everybody just seeks to have the, you know, best, uh, the best players uh, on the team. You know, I mean, Alexis Sanchez is a phenomenal player. Mm. Um, whether he's still going to be a phenomenal player. In two years, is 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 not is not certain. You know, he's already twenty nine. He he plays all the time. He plays through injury all the time. Um, but no doubt, this week, Alexi Sanchez is is a, is a really top player. Um, just a couple of uh, oh yeah. But the other the other thing, the other thing that Conte um, <laughs> might want to check. I'm sure he's seen this, but Eden Hazard, uh, who again was amazing. Absolutely brilliant for Chelsea as they destroyed Brighton. And the second goal by William. I think, Amazing, if you saw this goal. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Um, but <laughs> he doesn't sound as though he's keen on the idea of Dzeko or or Andy Carroll, who, who's obviously not going now, or Crouch, who was also linked, or any anybody like this. Mm. Um, he says, uh, I think we're happy with the team we have. It depends. I'm happy with the team we have, Hazard is saying. It depends how you want to play. We've got two very good strikers in Alvaro and Michi. Uh, if they're not ready to play, I can play striker. so I don't think we need another one. I mean, which is nice of Hazard to offer himself up to play the position, but that doesn't solve the problem. I mean, Hazard playing striker means someone has to play where Hazard usually does. Mm. You know what I mean? He's he's obviously brilliant wherever he plays, but there's still only just one of him. Um. He says because, because we're missing chances, people say we need another striker. But if we're scoring goals, we're the best attacking league, and no one can say we need a striker. Who's the best team this year? Who's the best team? Man City. Look at the strikers. She's uh, Gabriel Jesus, Sergio Aguero. Not that big,
1: says uh, Eden. So, <laughs> thanks for that contribution. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the whole thing is like when Peter Crouch is getting mentioned, and you're Misu Batswai. I mean, God, that's not that's not great. But uh, we will talk uh, The Sanchez Mkhitaryan deal With Jonathan Wilson But for the moment Ken Thanks for that That's the end of your Report on Sport
3: just a crying Big uh, baby
2: But you cannot Call a player A baby What?
0: I, a victory, I, didn't have a I want victory for every game. Where do you think you got it all wrong today? Which is the game you wanted victory for? I didn't have a weapon. Well, it's just the nervous night. You mm-hmm. look frustrated on the pitch. Which is the game you wanted victory for? I didn't have a weapon. You wanted victory. Well, I wanted victory. Which is the game you wanted victory for? I didn't have a weapon. Where do you think you got it all wrong today? Coach, coach,
1: coach, coach, coach.
2: coach. coach. coach.
3: Against them in the Premiership, and we never said they are a baby. You're just a crying big baby, and you cannot call a player a baby. Jonathan, um, just looking at this Sanchez McIntyre swap deal, it seems to me as though everybody can pat themselves on the back uh, for a job well done. Sanchez and McIntyre have both found a better home.
2: I think that's probably true, actually, yeah, and I think Manchester City will probably pat themselves on the back as well and think there are actually pretty good reasons from their point of view not not to go through with the deal to to get sanchez um, I must paul pogba already is uh, suggesting he might be worth a, a slightly larger wage in, in reaction to sanchez's alleged uh wage what's what, what's pogba and
3: done th- sorry jonathan i missed that one
2: uh there's a story yesterday in, in in one of the tabloids saying that pogba is looking to renegotiate his contract uh, now that Sanchez has arrived on, you know, four hundred and whatever thousand a week, he feels that he should be getting paid more than that. And that was you know was clearly one of the one of the reasons why why City were reluctant to, to push a deal through was that they, they were concerned what the arrival of somebody on that kind of money would do to their wage structure. Um and, and you know sort of the, the, the discord that could spread. And already you're seeing that United so I think City will probably think actually we're yeah, you know, we might be well out of that. I mean, obviously what happens in the next sort of six months, 18 months, will ultimately determine whether people have come out of this well. But I can, I can imagine sort of, you know, around now, executives at all three clubs sitting there thinking, you know, we've we come out of this all right.
3: Yeah, I mean, City, I suppose, are worried about this wage contagion. I mean, it's kind of ironic that they would be, you know, when they're the ones who've caused such inflation all across the world of football. Um, but this the, the wages that United are paying Sanchez, um, it puts him into the top five in the world, I think. Which which I think he's he's got to be very happy with. Um, and maybe it's time that that Manchester United did start having to pay a little bit more for these um, for these players because I can't help noticing that um, they are the richest club in the world, and this is something we're reminded of uh, not infrequently. Uh, but they also got a a wage-to-turnover ratio of like 45%. I mean, um, it seems to me as though the players at Manchester United are not getting enough of the money that they're generating. Maybe this and and maybe Pogba and another round of renewals of of the other star players is going to do something to redress that balance.
2: Yeah, possibly. I mean, I think there there clearly needs to be more investment there. I mean, I, I know the argument that's been had many times about just how bad the situation Mourinho inherited was. But the fact is that whether it's his fault, whether he's done brilliantly with terrible resources, they are miles behind City. And the only way you solve that, um, well, the two ways, you either solve it on the training pitch and and Guardiola seems to have the edge over Mourinho there, or you solve it by spending more money. And and the latter route is is quicker and probably the the better one for them. Um, I think the fact that they, they can pinch Sanchez from City, it's sort of a, you know, it's a double coup in that regard. I think that helps that yeah, you know, they they might lose the title by twenty points this season, but you know, at least we nicked a player off them. And if that player happens to score a, a key goal in the Champions League or the FA Cup or next season, well, you know, this, this January will, will be remembered as as a turning point. Um, whether Sanchez is actually that good, or not, I'm I'm not sure. I, mean, I think also with City, I, I, I mean, I suspect this doesn't enter into Guardiola's thinking at all. But I have to say, and maybe this is indicative of, of my habit of living in the past, but the first thing I thought of when, I, you know, when, when the story came out, they are going to sign Sanchez, was, okay, Manchester City miles ahead in the, in the title race and sign a disruptive force. First, Tino Isn't that a bit Rodney Marsh, 1972?
3: Oh, okay, right. That's going a long way back. I thought, I thought you were talking about Tino at the tune.
2: Well, but I mean, Tino was the new Rodney Marsh.
3: Right, okay. Yeah, but,
2: but, but City have actually been through it themselves. So, you know, so Johnson,
3: remind us what then, happened when Rodney Marsh arrived at Manchester City. We only know him from, um, from uh, this, uh, Soccer Saturday back in the day.
2: Um. Okay, 1972 was just before the the, the, uh, the transfer deadline, which was the end of March then. And I think City were four points clear, but obviously two points for a win, with something like nine games to go. Um, and... Uh, they, they were playing at the time, they were playing Wynne Davis. Do you remember Win Davis? A sort of big, strong, classic target man centre-forward. Nicknamed the Leap because, he was, you know, because of his spring. Um, so, you know, a classic old-style target man. Uh, so they're playing him with um, Fanny Lee up front, a, a sort of very mobile 4-4-2. Uh, and so I think the logic of Malcolm Allison was, OK, Rodney Marsh, who's actually quite a big bloke, I think people forget that. I think he's only an inch shorter than Wynne Davis. He's good in the air, but he's also a lot lot more. He's very skillful. You know, he'll he'll be he'll he'll be will he'll drop off. Him he and Franny Lee should be able to sort of change positions. You had Mike Summerby in that side so he could come in from the flank. Uh you can maybe play a 433 with the three of them up front. Uh you even in that season playing a four two four with Davis as well. But because Marsh wasn't as fit as that team I mean, that City team was sort of renowned for being very fit and Marsh was coming from QPR where the regime had not been particularly rigorous. Um, and because he's sort of a disruptive figure um, things fell apart. I think they only won three of the last nine games of that season and ended up not winning the title. And it was, a, you know, I think it was four teams with a point or two, and Derby ended up winning it. Famously, the you know, the title under Clough when they won it on the beach in Mallorca. Mm. And, you are ringing in to get, get uh, was it Liverpool Wolves? Uh, I think Liverpool were Liverpool playing Wolves and Arsenal were playing somebody. Um, and, you know, the results fell right for Derby to win it and City ended up finishing fourth. So, you know, I, I, that... If if you're as old as I am, that is the the, the archetypal transfer that derails a a title charge rather than the Tino Espria one. And like the Tino Espria one, there are now sort of revisionists who go, oh, well, actually, City's form had been a bit dodgy for the month beforehand, so the, the signing was a reaction to the dodgy form, which just then continued. And like, maybe that's right, but certainly symbolically... It was yeah, they had a four point lead, they sign a player, it all goes wrong. Yeah. The same as as Spear at Newcastle.
3: You've already expressed what sounded like a little bit of doubt that, that Sanchez was uh, was a top five in the world player, you know, if he, if he's if he's as good as his salary suggests. Um I mean, okay, people will have their, their own opinions on that. I personally think he's been an outstanding player ever since he's come to the Premier League, one of the best players in the league. Um the question though is more what uh, what do you see him doing at Manchester United? Because probably their best two players over the last few weeks have been Anthony Martial and Jesse Lingard, who are the players in the team who play in the positions that you could imagine Sanchez is, is most likely to play in. Now, maybe their good form recently is not unrelated to the fact that they, that Sanchez was, was going to be coming in and maybe taking their place. But how do you see him fitting in there? And do you think he's the type of player who will thrive in a team where, Okay, it's not a lot of attacking players have thrived uh, so far under Jose Mourinho.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess there's two two positions he, he fits in. You know, either plays at centre forward, which I think is unlikely. Uh, I think Mourinho has always liked a, uh, a target man figure. So, you know, I don't think Lukaku. Certainly not in the long term. I don't think his place is really under threat, or it's not under threat. Rather from, from from Sanchez, but it, it is an option to you know, to, to play. Um, Somebody whose whose main asset is pace rather than their you know their, their 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 physique, um or yeah he he plays um probably on the left, uh, as one of the the creators, which yeah immediately you think well who's getting dropped is it Martial is it Lingard I guess what might happen is Lingard moves to the right and Juan Mata is the one who misses out if they play that forty three one, um but I, I don't know I mean, Mourinho for all Martial's great form. Never seems to have been entirely convinced by him. Um, and there was a there was a game earlier in the season. I'm trying to think which game it was, but Martial had scored four goals coming off the bench. Um, I, and Mourinho was saying I, maybe that's what he's good at. That you know, yeah. injecting him with quarter of an hour to go is actually Martial's key strength. And maybe he still still sees that as, as the best way to use Martial. I'm not sure how happy Martial would be to. To play like that. Oh, I guess Marcial could play as centre forward and, and um Sanchez again on the left. So I, I think you know, there's plenty of options there. I mean, Mourinho's also played a back three, I think three times, uh, four times this season when United have been playing against another team who plays a back three. Uh so if it is a three four, two one, you know, he can obviously fit in either of the 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 two positions there. Mm. Um so it it's yeah, I don't think it was an area of the squad where they desperately needed strengthening. But on the other hand, with Premier League and Champions League, it doesn't hurt to have your extra option, and it does give them, I guess, a great variety of of shapes they can play.
3: Yeah, and and okay, so let's talk about the other side of the deal. Mkhitaryan has gone to Arsenal. Uh, I think a lot of Arsenal supporters are pretty underwhelmed by this because if you're if you're judging him based on what he's done in the Premier League, he is a non-event of a of a football player. I mean, he's. You know, he scored a nice goal against Tottenham last season and there really hasn't been a whole lot... What, the scorpion kick... Uh, he he scored a scorpion kick. Arsenal already had a player who did who did that. Yeah, um,
2: his was against Sunderland, which hardly counts, and it was offside. But and yeah. it
3: was not illegal. It was an illegal, although allowed uh, scorpion kick. But you know, I kind of feel as though um, he he never really showed what he was capable of at Manchester United. And I do wonder if maybe playing at Arsenal with some of the guys who were who were in that team already. I'm thinking particularly of Ozil, and then if they also get. Aubameyang from Dortmund, which is looking very likely at this moment, I mean, Dortmund certainly want to get rid of Aubameyang, and Arsenal are the only big team who are currently looking to sign him, then I think Arsenal have suddenly transformed their team in, in the matter of a few days from a, an incredibly depressing situation where their best player wants to leave, and in fact now has left to join Manchester United. They've managed to spin that into one where They've, they they bring in two players who actually know each other quite well, who are capable of playing brilliant football, who could link up really well with players like Ozil and, and Wilshire. This is the best the best transfer news Arsenal have had in years. If you know, provided that Yang does in fact arrive.
2: Yeah, I, I think I think I agree with all of that. Actually, I mean, there's there's a couple of of points there. So the first one of why McIntyre hasn't really worked at United. I mean, yeah, a couple of nice goals. I think he played very well in the Europa League final. Mm. Uh, I think I think he only got six assists in a season and a half, and five of them were in the first three games of this season. So you know, he said, yeah, you know, there's, there's no doubt he's not been playing well. But I I, I wonder if um, if the issue is he's better. I yeah, you know, the, the the game against City, the first game against City last season, where he. Had an awful first half. Was taken off at half time. Didn't play for two months after that. Mm. That first goal when he didn't close down Zabaleta at all, then suddenly he went very late, and he just seemed baffled by what he was trying to do. Um, And that sort of, I think, has led to this perception that he doesn't really—he's a bit of a shirker. He doesn't really fancy the the defensive side of the game. But that makes no sense because the two teams where he was where he excelled were Borussia Dortmund and Shakhtar, both of whom pressed very hard. Where you, you cannot have somebody who's not pulling their weight. So I think actually the issue is that United don't press that much under Mourinho, um, and so that Mkhitaryan often found himself so that of having to be the link man between a centre forward and a defence that was sort of sixty yards further back. Yeah, and he was sort of chugging about in that space, not really knowing what he's meant to be doing. So I looked at um, how often he'd he'd won the ball back, uh, whether with an interception or a tackle, and with United over the last season half, I think it's roughly one and a half times a game. You look at him before that; he was up near three. And in one season, well over three. Hmm. So, I, I think the... I mean I, I'm never quite sure whether Arsenal do try to press or not. But I think their best performances recently, so the cup semi-final, the cup final, the game against Tottenham this season, have come when they have pressed, when they have gotten the opposition's face. And if that is what Wenger is ultimately trying to do, then I think Mkhitaryan should should fit into that. Yeah, and- I mean, I think I think
3: it's interesting when you to compare those those figures that you're talking about Dortmund and Manchester United. The, the reason why he's able to. To do it much better at Dortmund because everybody else in the team is doing it. And at Manchester United, frequently, you know, he's, he's kind of the half player. The, you know, they've got uh, two banks of four, basically, him and then a centre forward, who, as who often as not, when, when Mkhitaryan played was Zlatan Ibrahimovic, he's, he's not, you know, the, the most mobile centre forward. Um, and, you know, if you're talking about pressing, it's something that the whole team has to do or it's totally ineffective. He could run around all day and never never be able to to win the ball back if his teammates aren't doing it as well but in a team where they do do that he is effective I mean the question as you said is whether Arsenal (laughs) whether Arsenal do it and I don't think they I don't think they really do but uh, in in that I don't think Arsene Wenger really knows how to how to coach a team like that but you can't help noticing that if he is there and, and he's playing with with guys like Ozil and Aubameyang then they all know how to do this. You know, I mean, I, I I can't see how you can put those guys together and not end up with some good football being played.
2: Oh, I, I can imagine them not playing good football. I think that's quite easy to imagine. The shambles Arsenal have been over the last however long—seven years, eight
0: years—but
2: mm. uh, you know, I think the fundamental point that if if Arsenal are to be good, they have to press because they don't have players who can who can defend And you know the, the traditional values of defending winning the ball in the air, winning tackles, out-muscling your opponents, they don't have that type of player. They certainly don't have that type of player at the back of midfield. So if that midfield is going to function in a defensive way, the way of doing that is is to be very compact, to to get the shape right, to play high at the pitch, and to play with that intensity that they did in the the FA Cup semi-final and final last season, when they were mind-blowingly good. They were so much better than it seemed possible they could be. And, you know, that's that's what you, you, know, you find yourself regularly watching us, well, not that regularly, but occasionally watching us thinking, they're brilliant, why, why are they not like this every week? And that's something that I just, you know, I, it can only be a lack of intensity from the top and a lack of, of organisation. And that's what makes it so baffling that occasionally are so good, you think, oh, they, they've cracked it, they're doing it now. But, I, you know, I fundamentally agree with you that the moment in which Wenger fell behind the rest of the world um, was when the rest of the world started pressing really hard and really well. I think that was that was really clear when they had that series of games against Barcelona. But Barcelona, it wasn't that Barcelona were more skillful than Arsenal. Mm. And they probably were a little bit. But the big difference between the sides is Barcelona pressed much better.
3: Oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember the, the first half of one of those matches at the Emirates was just the most incredible um, display of, of one team running the other team off the field that, that I'd seen up to that point. Um, but, you know, you, you've talked about Arsene Wenger there. It's not really about him anymore. Was, I'm, I'm increasingly getting the sense... I mean, look... We've we've spoken about the 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 hires that Arsenal have made. The new head of recruitment is Sven Mislintat, who comes from Borussia Dortmund. A month later, Arsenal signed Mkhitaryan, who was last seen playing good football at Dortmund. And the other player they're looking to sign is Obama Yang, currently the Dortmund centre forward. Okay, there does seem to be quite a clear link between that appointment and the signings they're making in January. It looks as though their signings being made by Mislintat rather than by Arsene Wenger. Wenger is being sidelined.
2: Yeah, possibly. But I mean Wenger's become like the yeah, he he's Glenn Close in um in, in Fatal Attraction. He, he, he's not gonna go. We thought we 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 thought this was late period Wenger. Maybe this is mid period Wenger. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's late early period Wenger. I've got no no conviction Wenger will ever leave. Um but you know that it, in 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 fifty years it'll be kind of an urn sitting in a in a big padded coat in the dugout. And they still won't have got shot of him. So Yeah, I mean, obviously the link between Mislintat and and, and, um, Mkhitaryan and and potentially Yang. And I I think they are significant signings um, in that, and I know you've made this point, that you get into a point of thinking, well, is this squad actually better than the squad Wenger inherited? Mm. And, you know, if Sanchez goes and, you know, Erzl's position seems a little more unclear now, but we thought he was going. You we thought, well, is Ekibayin going to stay? Probably not. He lose those three, and what is the legacy? What what is left? Like Granit Xhaka, really? I mean, Lacazette, he hasn't, you know, hasn't really sort of played particularly well in the Premier League. But if you add to that, um, Mkhitaryan and, and Aubameyang. Then suddenly there is a bit of a core there to to, to build on, so so yeah, I, I think you know your, your earlier point that the the chances are that Arsenal come out of this window looking um, yeah in a much more positive position for the future than it, than it appeared they would do going into the window. Then that's that's absolutely true.
3: I do wonder, Jonathan, if all of this uh, the, this transfer activity and especially the talk of the huge money that Sanchez is going to be on. Um, is is beginning to affect morale at Tottenham at all, who, who are, I think, after Manchester United, the team that give the lowest proportion of their turnover to the players in terms of wages. Running a tight ship there, Daniel Levy, as we know, a lot of underpaid players. And the Sunday Times had a big piece yesterday. Uh, Real Madrid prepared to break world transfer record for Harry Kane, who is currently leading the race for the European Golden Boot. So he's the kind of player Real Madrid certainly will be interested in. Um Gotta say that's that that must be that must start to get a little bit worrying from a from a Tottenham point of view. I know Harry Kane has always said, you know, it's it's I want to stay at Tottenham and he's been very kind of um he's been very look, look, that's that's what I want to do. I want to become a legend at this club and the money doesn't really matter to me. But it's not really about the money. You know, when when sort of agents start to work on you, if if I mean everyone thinks a little bit about money, of course, uh But, you know, if they think that you're the sort of person who doesn't want to think of themselves as greedy, then you don't pitch it based on, you know, Harry, they're going to pay you four times as much as you're getting paid now. It's, they're going to treat you right, Harry. These guys at Tottenham aren't respecting you. This guy, Levy, is building a a stadium. You're carrying him on your back. You're paying for his stadium. We're going to treat you right here at Real Madrid.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I think that Danny Rose interview uh, in the summer, I think that was, you know, that was the writing on the wall that... Tottenham probably, this is probably the second year of the three-year window in which they, they could win the league um, before those economic pressures you know, start to erode the squad. And I think as soon as one player goes, I mean, I guess one already has got in Kyle Walker, but as soon as you get two or three players going, then people like Harry Kane, who, who are fundamentally loyal, they will quite reasonably think, well, what am I actually staying here for? There's no chance of us winning anything. But... Since they lose two or three players, and you know, there's plenty of players who aren't going to be as committed as Harry Kane, then the whole thing will will fall apart. So it's almost like this this iteration of Tottenham, this generation of Tottenham, is there to fund a potential title challenge in seven or eight years, and that's something obviously that fans don't want to hear. I suspect it's something the fans don't want to hear, the, the the players don't want to hear. But the fact is that you know they they, they finished third and second, and that was probably their. their they're their best two chances of winning the league. City are miles ahead. Can you see City falling back that far next season to to, to give Tottenham a chance of winning it? I, I don't think so. And so this generation will, will inevitably sort of break up and, and pass on.
3: Mm. Well, if that is their function, maybe taking 200 million for Harry Kane is something that they will be prepared to consider uh, at the right time. But uh, that's all we've got time for uh, right now. Jonathan, thanks a million for joining us on the show today. Cheers, no worries. So he's almost like having a second captain, isn't he?
2: <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever.
1: Richie Sadler's here, Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck <laughs>
2: happened? No, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the city knew about it, but no one had seen him.
1: It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that.
2: That's why sport's important.
1: Yeah, Ken, so I'm reading your piece in the Irish Times uh, this morning and uh, it appears as if Arsenal have lost their best player and they're in the midst of having their best ever transfer window.
3: <laughs> well, the best ever, I don't know if it's the best ever, but I did actually look at Arsenal's transfer windows over the last few years yeah. and you'd be going back a long way <laughs> to find a really good one. You really would. They have signed, the Franny Jeffers
1: one, is it? They have signed so much, yeah. so much
3: rubbish, like so much, so many terrible players. And every so often, you see a player who turned out to be good, but just surrounded by Drek, You know, it's not, it's not good. Now, I, I think that Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang are two top players. Of course, we, you know, Mkhitaryan, it's, it's happening. Aubameyang, we don't know. So that's why we're going to talk now to Stefan Ursfeld, ESPN, uh, based over in Germany about uh well this transfer and whether it's as exciting as i think it is I, I i mean it's i can't really see the problem here i don't know why there isn't more competition from other big clubs for the signing of pierre emmerich Aubameyang, who looks absolutely amazing every time i see him so stefan you're on the line now what uh can you tell us first of all if you expect this deal actually to happen
0: uh yeah it's definitely gonna happen On um, it looks like um they're gonna agree to maybe 60 70 million, uh, Euros, um And uh, when will leave Dortmund, uh, finally, he'll be happy.
3: He'll he'll be happy, (laughs) but will the Dortmund supporters be happy? I mean, this guy's been their best player for the last couple of seasons. Um, And yet it seems, I I mean, I don't know how well regarded he is. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that.
0: Um, Well, they actually liked him uh, a lot because he kept on banging in those goals. And um, he has 98 goals for Dortmund um, in... uh, Hundred and whatever Bundesliga matches, Dortmund's best player actually in attack. But um, he knew it all along, and um, he has been wanting out for a while, uh, making the next step as they call it. Um, just get a get more money. Um, been eyeing with a flirting with a China move uh, last summer didn't work out because of uh, the new transfer regulations in China, and uh, he stayed put in Dortmund because uh, Milan didn't offer as much as Dortmund required. And, um, well, he didn't show up for training. He's um, isolated in the squad these days. So um, it's not a good move for Dortmund, but he needs to go um, to allow Dortmund to breathe again.
3: Right. I see that he's he's getting involved in, in fights with journalists and so on. Uh, there was one guy over the weekends, uh, Michael Marcus, who writes for Build, who th- – this is because of Aubameyang – uh, wasn't playing for Dortmund against Hertha. Instead, he went to play five a side with his friends, and he wore a jersey. Uh, he wore a shirt with Dembélé's name in the back. Dembélé, who was sold by Dortmund in in acrimonious circumstances in the summer, uh, and I think he was Aubameyang's mate. Um, but but he went to play this five a side. So the journalist said to him, "Oh." uh you know you or said look at this guy he's he's got he's he described him as character loser which basically means characterless and suggested that Dortmund should like have him rot in the reserves for the next two seasons i mean is that is that uh, is that sort of view widespread do you think do a lot of people think this badly of aubameyang
0: um well not as badly as uh, the build guy um hmm. i think um he did what he could at dortmund uh He's not there with his heart. Uh, he hasn't been there with his heart for a while. Um, he was actually one of the guys. Um, he was pretty much in the Tuchel camp last season. So, um, because Tuchel allowed him all the freedom he wanted, he could celebrate with whatever mask he put on. Um. He's like a colourful bird, maybe. Yeah, well, he's uh, he's like the player who needs that. Well, I wonder. Uh, we'll see what happens at Arsenal. Uh, there, there that's... was. I
3: mean, this this interaction with the journalist who he, who he called a joker or whatever the other day, Mika Marcus was was one of the more friendly ones that he had. I mean, there was a much worse one uh, a couple of weeks ago when Carl Vilt, who's uh, kind of a senior journalist at Kicker magazine, um. He said he used the he used the word. Uh, he said, "I don't think that uh, Aubameyang would be able to go on with this." What he and the word he used was "affen circus" at Bayern, for instance. If he was at Bayern, he wouldn't be able to go on with this "affen circus." "Affen circus" literally means "ape circus," which I guess is a is a German figure of speech for like a kind of a, you know a clown show or you know sort of ridiculous situation.
0: Actually, uh, a madhouse.
3: A mad a madhouse.
0: You use the word affen to uh, say something has absolutely blown out of proportion. So he put on, like, this is a racism scandal. Yeah. Which it isn't, because, uh, well, if you translate it and you look it up on the internet, uh, maybe it'll show. Affen Circus can be used in this term, but Wilt didn't use it this way. Yeah. So it's got, got stuck in our translation a bit, and he found this picture of, a, of an ape showing his right arm. Um, which is actually from a left-wing punk band um, with a song <laughs> called Affen Circus on an album uh, where like Nazi Terror was one of the songs as well. So um, yeah. he tried to steer the pot a bit, and uh, he just wanted out. And um, it's a shame to see yet another player leave Dortmund that way. Uh, it's been like that with uh, most of the players in Dortmund in the last couple of seasons. Uh, Dembélé, um, for instance. Uh, probably because of um, what well, Financial Times ran a pretty interesting uh, story about Dortmund's uh, concept of bringing in players for small money, selling them for uh, a lot of money. Hmm. But this also um includes players only staying at the club for two, three years maybe until they feel they are ready to make the next step. Or in the case of Mikel Mourinho now at Newcastle or Ember Moore struggling at Celta Vigo, they are just allowed to leave after one season because they don't fit. Okay.
3: Well, listen, Stefan, it's very interesting to to hear all that stuff. Uh, thanks for joining us on the show today.
0: Okay. My pleasure.
1: It's a hell of a tournament so far. Listen, Luke Jensen, ESPN. Great to talk to you. Glad you're enjoying it. Own your amazing. Own your amazing. Own your amazing.
0: Own your amazing. Own your amazing. Oh! The Owen McDevitt Worldwide. The Murph and Mackey
3: for most welcome Irishman of the year Goes to Owen McDevitt Owen, Owen, Owen. Owen. Owen McDevitt. From Ireland's second captain show
1: All up in the interweb Owen McDevitt Worldwide. Worldwide. Second captains, those guys, are like, those guys are like family to me, man This is luck The coolest song i ever heard in my whole life Owen McDevitt All of you said I wouldn't make Stop it Stop talking about Tom Finney He said I was a loser This
0: guy is a bit of a turkey <laughs>
1: Alright He said I was a fucking soccer Oh you're amazing But look at me now All up in the interweb Owen McDevitt World, World War, war. The new World Federator
3: of the Championship. Oh, Owen McDevitt
2: Owen oh, McDevitt
3: Owen you're amazing you're
1: amazing If you say for example the Barcelona team you worked at is it fair to say anybody could have managed those guys?
0: No,
2: of course
1: not. So Stefan mentioned something there, and it's it's something that has been talked about a little bit over the last uh, couple of weeks, is the bad behaviour of Aubameyang, that, that Arsenal are getting a wrong in here, Ken.
3: Yeah. Uh, now, he definitely has behaved badly, at least since he lost interest in playing for Dortmund because he's trying to force his way out of the club. I mean, you don't go and play five side with Dembele shirt. You know, that, that he's saying, he's yes. saying, I want out. Mm. And and Dortmund are, are are maybe doing a bit of this. You, you see, you've seen it maybe at Liverpool, you know, when Sterling or Torres left these kinds of players. Like, well, you know, when they go, um, maybe it makes everyone feel a little bit better about it to hear certain details of how they f- unprofessionally forced through the move. You know what I mean? There's mm. a bit of bit of blackening the reputation. I don't take it seriously at all. I mean, Aubameyang, there's there's obviously a cultural issue there. Uh, I mean, Aubameyang annoys people. Like he's got this ridiculous, these ridiculous cars. You know, his outfits are among the most outlandish ever worn, ever worn by a football player. You know, which is we're getting to an extreme mm. level of ridiculous here. But you know, I don't. Uh, the fact of it is, this guy won the top scorer last season. He's playing. He's he's competing lot against Lewandowski. Lewandowski is is like a terminator. You know, you don't beat Lewandowski. Mm. ...by being a, a joker. You know, this guy is a really, really serious player. I mean, he, he, I think of someone like Samuel Eto'o, or, or, you know, Eto'o is another player who, oh, this guy, he's terrible for the dressing room. Maybe, maybe players in the dressing room, maybe he annoys a few of them, because he goes he goes around, he thinks, he's like, oh, I'm the greatest, you know, and, and a lot of people don't like that, but... On the other hand... On the field, <laughs> you know, I'm you might win, totally win the Champions League with this guy. He's yeah. that good. Uh, I think I think he's a player who could score a lot of goals. For, I mean, trans, uh, kind of transform the team. Forget all this depressing stuff that had been happening over the last while. You know, if he arrives there and is and is can can show the same kind of form that he has done at Dortmund, he's going to be an absolutely brilliant signing. So it's it's gone from a really depressing situation in Arsenal a couple of weeks ago into. Actually, this is this is quite exciting, and maybe we can catch Tottenham now. Yeah, and maybe Hurricane is going to join Real Madrid, <laughs> you know,
1: and you know, get Marco Silva in there, get Wenger <laughs> out. Okay, that's uh, that's pretty much it. Thanks, William, so for tuning in. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks, everybody, and uh, join us on the World Service this week. We've got another uh, Richie Sadders players' chair coming up this week. So yeah, get on it.
2: Is I, that's the second time it's done. Oh, they never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys.